Hello, Annabel Crab. Lee Sales. Look at this. You've brought me a lovely cake. I have brought you a lovely cake, even though you don't deserve it. Oh, <laughs> so, I just made sorry. lunch for you. That's true, actually. Sorry, I take that back. <laughs> God, what a mere awful cow I am. Um, no, you do deserve it. You do deserve it, love. Thank you. And it's um, quite a simple cake. It's a, it's a yogurt cake <laughs> because I feel it's about time someone did something nice for you with yogurt <laughs> instead of chucking it at your face. <laughs> Wow, that is so thoughtful. Let me have a bite of it. Um, it's so funny. Is, when that happened... Um, it, should okay. we just recap for people who don't know? I, why don't you recap? You were there. I was just shaking with laughter on the other side of the continent. So, <laughs> so I'm speaking at a writers' festival in Perth and when I took the stage I could hear somebody in the front row sort of muttering loudly, a man, and I yep. thought, oh, that's a bit weird. There's someone a bit weird in the front row. And then I'm just talking about something completely innocuous relating to any ordinary day and... He stood up and shouted F you and threw a tub of yogurt, which mm. hit the podium with a loud bang and splattered everywhere. Luckily, none of it landed on me. And then sort of security tackled him and then he was sort of wrestled out of there. <laughs> anyway, it was sort of so bizarre and surreal. And then so I kept going with the speech. But then when I came off stage, the police were waiting to take a statement. So I had to give a police statement. So was it, it was a long police statement? <laughs> no, because I didn't have anything to say. And then um, then – yeah, so that was just so bizarre. And they were like, Do you want got to press- a freeze frame of your face, which is just absolutely <laughs> yeah, shock, a like- classic shock and horror expression. Yeah, completely. And then everyone was very impressed because you were just like, well, that's a waste of a totally, <laughs> a perfectly good tub of yogurt. Well, do you know what was so funny? So I left the event and I was get- getting straight on a plane to come back to Sydney. So I sort of didn't think about it again. But then when I landed in Sydney, my oh. phone was just <laughs> melting, at, including from one of the uh, top sort of corporate comms people at the ABC to say, look, can you please put out a tweet or something? Because we're just getting smashed with people wanting a comment. And you've like, I was obviously had gone completely silent. You've got into yogurt flight. shock. Yeah. So I think people thought, oh, she must be actually more rattled than she'd let on. So then I felt like, oh, God, this has turned into a big kerfuffle. And of course, like my mother was like, oh, that person could have had a knife and was worried about it. And so I was. Um, just making wise cracks about you know alas some proper culture arrives at this festival. <laughs> I did get a ton of hilarious messages from friends I must admit which was very entertaining so yes yeah, so that was quite um that was a bit of action so yes thank you very much love and, for um doing so do we know what brand it was I mean was it a, oh. was it an expensive yogurt <laughs> that was yeah that was the other thing that was funny it was blueberry I know you waited till I put a mouthful of this cake I know my... this is especially for Jeremy mm. here you go give it a big <laughs> chew <laughs> Hi, Jeremy. <laughs> Notice I haven't started my cake yet. Because... <laughs> um, the Yeah, so when I've landed, one of the people who sent me a message is Gwen and it's a link to the Channel 9 news story of it. <laughs> the thing that was hilarious, that was a very earnest reporter doing a live cross saying something like, I can confirm it was blueberry yoghurt. <laughs> Of course it was. And if so, I'd had any blueberries at home this morning, I would have whacked them in the cake. But as it is, it's just a plain lemon yogurt cake. Yes, it was It was very amusing. Anyway, well, not that amusing really. Anyway, the guy's got to be in court. They said, do you want to press charges? I was like, no, I don't care. And they were like, oh, well, you have to. And so now it's like. Oh, so now you press charges. So, well, I didn't do anything. It just seemed to like automatically happen. I think because right. it was in like a public place or something. But anyway, so um, he's not allowed to come within X amount of metres of me or well, the ABC. Sensible. and they yeah. probably sounds sensible. <laughs> you want one of those, don't you? I do. Um, now, did you. I, just one more thing that I was yes. going to say that was funny, but now I can't remember. Oh, yeah. So I think I tweeted about it. <laughs> something kind, obviously. And some absolute numb nuts replied to me on Twitter saying, oh, I suppose you'll find that this is, you know, oh, oh, you know, 
Fraser Ranning gets an egg chucked at him and you and you think it's hilarious, but I'm sure you won't find this hilarious all of a sudden. I'm like, au contraire, fella. I think this is hysterical. <laughs> and then... Yeah, I got a lot of the, like, that sort of stuff too and I'm like, dude, I said nothing about Fraser Ranning getting hit with an egg. Like, you know, just, but between was... you, you've got the makings of a cake. <laughs> Who are those protesters that threw, threw flour at Tony Abbott? Oh, they were Fathers for that. Justice. Yeah, they oh. got into the um, House of Commons and they chucked flour at Tony Abbott. Or, uh, not Tony Abbott, Tony Blair. Um, this was like a really long time ago, so it's how weird. Uh, I think it was about 2004. Um, so really if all of those chuckers got together, you could make this cake. I, I, <laughs> yeah, you absolutely could. You'd be, you'd be good to go. All this is actually a very simple cake, uh, by the way. It's, mm. I got the recipe off Kid Spot. Mm-hmm. It's just a lemon yogurt cake. But the good thing about it is, particularly if you're making it with kids, which is I suspect why it's on that website, mm-hmm. is that um, it's, an, it's, it's made with oil and yogurt and sugar, although I've about halved the sugar, um, and lemon rind, and you just put it in a bowl, stir, and then... In it goes. So there's no creaming of butter and sugar nonsense. My friend George. I've gone to very little effort to make this <laughs> well, special cake so for you. <laughs> My friend George, who's an excellent cook, reckons pretty much any recipe you can about halve the sugar with no discernible impact on the taste. Uh, 100%. Wow, I'm a, really? I, I agree with that. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Except not my recipes, which have already had sugar reduced. So, <laughs> Oh, okay. So mm. don't do that. Now, um, I would like to know if you yes. did the homework I assigned. Um, I have actually. And i just got to say that I, just for the record, I really resented it. <laughs> it took me ages because I didn't have an obvious – see, you have an advantage here because you called on this assignment because exactly. you already had a funny idea uh, yep. and then probably wrote it in about 20 seconds. You wrote it, I know, at least a month ago, and all prepared, <laughs> as per usual. And had, Lee, had Miss Smuggy Smug Gun. Sales. <laughs> had seen, You've seen the movie. Yeah, exactly, not that much more. So just a recap. Previously on Chat 10, <laughs> we were talking about Top Gun and I threw down a challenge that because there's a Top Gun sequel film coming mm-hmm. out 30 years, 25 years on, whatever it is, I threw down the challenge that we have to write a brief plot synopsis for what the sequel will be. Crab agreed. Oh, mine's not a synopsis. Now she's staring daggers at me. It's Mine's not even a synopsis. It's just a... Some dot saying, points. Some, yeah, it's just it's just <laughs> dripping with bitterness. All right, basically. you do, you do yours like, first. Well, do you know how much I've been looking forward to I it? I know, but you're looking, forward to, you're, you're looking forward to it is entirely solipsistic. You're just looking forward to the fun of reading your funnier one out to me. <laughs> No, I literally have been looking forward to hearing what you've come up with. Occasionally I've been like the, walking The most telling moment here was when you suddenly just came up with this idea last time we met and then <laughs> revealed that you'd already written yours. Man. Okay. Hit me, Bolly. Okay. Okay. So the new movie is, uh, is, as I understand it, called Maverick mm-hmm. and it's about the same old dude mm-hmm. 34 years later. I mean – I just wonder if we're going to have come up with basically the same stuff. Oh. I reckon we have. Yep. Okay. All right. Okay. Yep. <clears throat> Top Gun. Maverick. Okay. I'm not going to do an American accent, okay? No. 34 years ago, he was the brilliant but flawed naval airman, breaking hearts and breaking rules. Today, he's lost none of his unpredictable ways. Out of a seemingly clear sky, suddenly, he appears. He's all over you, diving, bombing, strafing. You don't know his real name. He seems never to sleep. He's bold, arrogant. Risky. He's looking to inflict damage. He's been everywhere. He knows everything. He knew that Donald Trump was going to win in 2016 and that Bill Shorten was going to lose in 2019. He thinks wind power's a crock and Me Too's a conspiracy. 
He's pretty sure the Clintons killed Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> He's got some thoughts about how lame Lee Sales is at interviewing. <laughs> and he won't hesitate to explain this to her directly. He's 63 years old. He has 126 Twitter followers. Meet at Maverick. That is very good. And, yeah, we are in the same ballpark. Oh, God, no. Totally different stylistically, but we are in the sort of same terrain. Okay, here we go. After the most obvious extended foreplay sequence in film history, that between Maverick and Iceman in Top Gun, the Top Gun sequel opens with the pair married and living in the suburbs of Virginia raising two teenage sons. Iceman has risen through the ranks to become chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, as befits somebody of his maturity, common sense and meticulous attention to detail. You always love that guy. Maverick is a stay-at-home parent, a role he's taken on with bitterness and resentment after finding his career stalled thanks to one too many hungover arrivals at work off the back of night singing Jerry Lee Lewis and downing tequila shots. Maverick has the look of a man about two and a half months off going completely to seed. Iceman and the other service chiefs are trying to persuade President Trump to abandon an insane plan to launch precision military strikes on New Zealand. New Zealand? You say incredulously, why New Zealand? Viewer, it's Donald Trump. The Navy has brought Maverick back on a contract basis as he's the only pilot anybody knows narcissistic and childish enough to form an immediate close personal bond with President Trump. The plan is for Maverick to dissuade Trump from going ahead with the mission, but if that fails, Maverick is also the only pilot the Navy has that A, would be foolhardy enough to fly the plane launching airstrikes on Tiawamutu, and B, that the Navy wouldn't mind sacrificing permanently in some pointless mission. On his second day in the job, Maverick bumps into Kelly McGillis, now Pentagon spokeswoman. Kelly gives him a look that unmistakably says, I am almost physically ill at the thought that I ever slept with you. (laughs) Maverick does that sharky broad smile thing where he insists on holding eye contact for an uncomfortably long period of time before slowly putting his sunglasses on. (laughs) Um... You've watched this movie too many times. <laughs> yeah. It occurs to me. McGillis immediately reports him to her superior for sexual harassment. Hashtag me too. Take my breath away. Starts to play. God, Late- another whole page. <laughs> Later- <laughs> Later that week. I was looking at that staple and worrying. <laughs> my worst fears confirmed. <laughs> she flaps open the first page. There's heaps more. I mean, press pause. Get a couple. <laughs> Is this where Cathy should insert the ad? (laughs) Probably. Yeah, do it. Okay, I'm going to get through this as fast as possible because I don't want to take us over the 30 minutes. If you like chat10looks3.com, you can visit our website. Um, there are links. Give the address, Sales. Give the address. Chat10looks3.com, that's what I just said. Oh, Everything we talk about, there's links to all of it right there. There's a thing that called Bedside Table you can click on. It's an online bookstore. You can buy the books that we talk about. Uh, sometimes there's merch for sale on there. Sometimes there's details about live shows that we're doing. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Instagram. And if you see Annabelle Crabb in the streets, make sure you walk up and say hello and ask her to open your local school page. And I will give them your home address. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, now do I need to give a previously on? (laughs) We don't need a previously. Okay, here we are. (sighs) 
Later that week, Maverick hits the bar and bounces over to a group of pilots half his age. Hey, are you Wolfman's secretary, honey? He asks the young woman. No, I'm Goose's daughter, dipshit, and I'm a three-star general, she says. And Dad would still be alive if not for you being an irresponsible little punk who encouraged upside-down flying and other teenage boy stunts. So how about you go fuck yourself, Maverick? (laughs) Iceman is watching from the other side of the bar, giving Maverick the identical look we earlier saw on Kelly McGillis' face. (laughs) After Goose's daughter's outburst, things are a bit weird and awkward at the bar and nobody's making eye contact, so Maverick downs his shot and shouts, I feel the need! Everyone looks at him in bafflement as he goes on looking at them expectantly. The need! Still nobody budges. The speed! He finishes to total silence. I think it's time we got you home, Iceman says between clenched teeth as the younger pilots immediately stand to attention and salute the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Maverick ultimately dissuades Trump from going ahead with the New Zealand mission and the film ends with the two heading to Mar-a-Lago for a round of golf. Credits roll. Cue Highway to the Danger Zone. (laughs) Wow. Well, at least I have to see that movie now. <laughs> Some serious time wasting that <laughs> went on there. That... How long did that take you? Oh, it was actually while Chris was blow drying my hair and makeup, so fifteen oh, minutes. Oh, poor Chris, he has to see some scenes, doesn't he? <laughs> I think I read it aloud to him. He's just like, "What? What are you doing?" When I've explained, because of course I was like feverishly this writing. Is the person who co-hatched the um, Freddie Mercury dress-up plan, so I don't feel that sorry for him. <laughs> He's used to my cockamamie schemes. Yeah, he was. Um, I was feverishly working. I think he thought I was like, preparing for an interview with the Prime Minister or something and then, no, it turned out I was writing. <laughs> Much more gun. technically demanding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, space and flying and stuff like that has been in the news a lot oh, lately. Do you like that effortless segue? That was incredible. I, I didn't know. feel it even going in. Uh, <laughs> are you trying to get me to tell the story of my recent viewing of the Apollo 11 documentary? Oh, only if you want to. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay, so I thought. Um, so I have been flying back and forth like a dervish uh, to Melbourne to do um, Insiders, although I'm now finished with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has allowed me to see a couple of films but only like halfway, you know, I watched half of it on the way to Melbourne then half right. on the way back because mm-hmm. really unless you're going to Perth, you don't really get a, a full movie in a domestic True. flight. It's got pine nuts on it, that cake. It's got pine nuts on the top, baby. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, yep. What do you mean it's Interesting. Well, I would have used like toasted flaked almonds myself. <laughs> Maybe well, Kathy, okay. Kathy put the ad here. <laughs> well, pa- Let, do you want me to explain this to you? I mean, it's a sort of a yogurty cake. It's got yep. some lemon. In it. I put some yep. rose petals. Not that you've commented, or perfect. are you grateful of, uh, for any of this? So oh, I thought a pine nut yeah. for a bit of a. Yeah, it'd be beautiful with flaked almonds. <laughs> I just <laughs> there's nothing How do you have me? friends? There's nothing that gives me more joy. <laughs> You're just like taking a beautiful gesture and somehow just really scuffing <laughs> it up. I just get you back for you saying oh, yeah, I didn't true. deserve the cake after yeah, I dished true. you up a delicious yeah, salad for your lunch. It was a nice salad too. Okay, Apollo Oliver. Hit me. <sighs> anyway. So it is um it's kind of a it's a really technical sort of documentary. Like you, what you see is essentially just all of the footage that they've got of the um, hours approaching the um, departure of the Apollo 11 mission mm-hmm. and then what happens. Um, they've got cameras everywhere um, in all of the control rooms and stuff and then um, their exchanges with the astronauts as they're plumping down on the on the moon's surface so there's no like there really isn't any sort of overarching narrative like right. um, there's not a narrative not voice or, or yeah Does and it, it build tension 
Yeah, it really does. Wow. It's so weird because you know what happens. And like Jeremy told me about it and he was like, I just like my heart rate was just thumping. Mm. And it's sort of weird because you know exactly what happens and yet mm. somehow the lack of a kind of a lyrical narr- um, narrative line, like there's no narrator saying, and then, you know, whatever. It's just like, you know, the, the clock is ticking down because you hear – the people in the control room saying, okay, 90 seconds to take off or oh, like right. 11 seconds to take off or whatever. So it's all built out of the vision and sound from the time, mm-hmm. which is really – and there's not really, um, you know, there's, there's not um, interviews with them um, when they're older reminiscing about it. It's all in the actual time. Wow. Which is actually – it means that it's a documentary that's fascinating um, in a different way from lots of other documentary, documentaries I've seen. You're actually transported into the moment. Mm-hmm. And so – and there are bits that really, if you viewed them – as part of a traditional documentary, you'd go, oh, yeah, okay, so there's, you know, somebody typing and there's somebody, you know, listening to instructions and there's people standing around. and and But because it's all sort of whooshed into a really tight um, time frame, it actually helps to build the tension. Oh, God, how amazing. And there's this moment, right, where um, – and you, 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 when you think about the, that first moon landing, you're thinking about, you know, the steps, the first steps on the moon. You're thinking about, you know, how the hell are they going to get off? And But in, in a, but weirdly, the bit that is the most full of tension is when their little space hopper capsule thing dislodges from the rest of the craft and they um, actually land in the craft on the moon's surface. And for some reason, it's... You can see that from the camera there, they're kind of like drifting down onto the moon's surface. There's this giant crater there. And somehow you're just seized with fear that it's going to go horribly wrong. And that oh, they're not gonna, God. And there's no way that I would have thought that that would be the bit that would be nerve-wracking. Mm. But it really is. And then um, so you're kind of like feeling anxious. And then after they've landed, then you hear the, like, the guy in the control room and he's like – because they've got all these um, – monitors on all the astronauts and he reports what their heart rates were oh yeah what like were they? a minute before like you know five minutes ago and then what they were when they actually made the landing and armstrongs had gone up from like 80 to like 120 or something mm. it was he, wow. he was really wigging out wow. buzz aldrin was a little bit less you know that's um, fascinating excited but and it, so you let out this sort of sigh you kind of laugh because actually that's what just as happened to you. As a viewer, you're kind of feeling really <laughs> yeah. tense as well. Anyway, so yeah. That sounds great. The, um, I was listening to a BBC podcast about the moon landing and they said in it that the average age of people working in mission control on the Apollo 11 mission was 27. Get out. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Yep. Talk about stepping up. Like just amazing. Well, one of the things about it that I, you know, there were cameras everywhere, right? Like so there's all this footage and they're all those sort of big old shoulder-mounted, you know, double reel right. cameras. And so what I did feel when I was watching it was just really grateful that they'd all taken the trouble to document it. Yeah. I mean, of course, it's so incredible. Um, yeah. And then they patched um, well, the, patched in the White House. The and, Air and Space Museum in Washington, because it's really very recent history, they've kept yeah. so much stuff. Yeah. It's absolutely fantastic. Hey, I watched a doco the other night, which is the opposite to what you say, which was um, – people interviewed today talking about right. the past. Um, it's on ABC iView. It's about David Bowie called Finding Fame. Oh, oh God. It was, if you're a David Bowie fan, just I've never heard of it. stop listening right now and go and watch it. Um, it's basically about David Bowie <clears throat> from 
teenage years or childhood really um, to the end of the Ziggy Stardust period. So oh, okay. early, right. very early Bowie. Um, like that um, uh, exhibition they had a few years back, actually just before he died at um, Acme, which was that sort of oh, scope as well. Oh, okay, right. Unbelievable. So good. It I know was, you didn't see it. That's why I'm mentioning it. Just like rubbing I never it saw, a little bit. Did you ever see Bowie live? No. Me either. And I just think, yeah. oh. And I had opportunities too. I just don't know what's wrong with me. <sighs> Um, he chewed in the US when we lived there. No, I just, in fact, my ex-husband went and I was just like, what, what? what was I doing? Just, what was I doing that I didn't go to see David Bowie? Um, anyway, so um, it's basically him and it's got the ubiquitous, like, you know, that him and his band have sent off something to the BBC and whoever's written a scathing thing about the lead singer having zero charisma and talent and blah, 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 oh, like no. all of that stuff. But they've got people that he was in bands with as a young man talking about him and what he was like and whatnot. They've got um, one of his former girlfriends who he was really in love with who um, he wrote a song called Letter to Hermione. It's on the Space Oddity album. Um, And she's interviewed. She was the one who dumped him and he was really heartbroken. And, um, yeah, it was all really fascinating and amazing. And just all the archive, it's all like amazing BBC archive. Brilliant. But it's also the thing that's fascinating is – you can see in the early stuff that he hasn't quite found David Bowie yet and what David Bowie's going to be. He's right. heading there. Like when you look at any artist's early early work, you can see hints of what's coming. So, for example, the song um, the song Space Oddity was the first, you know, so this is ground control to Major Tom. That was his first big hit. But then that album as a whole was a flop. So that didn't even really break him through, even yeah, though that's one right. of the most famous Bowie songs. And then it was the sort of Ziggy Stardust album that then – sort of really cemented him as a massive, massive star. So um, and then at that point it was like because he's playing that um, interruption. Ziggy, he's playing that Ziggy Stardust way, persona. Pine nuts work really well on this cake, they so are, screw you. It was completely fine. Um, he's doing the Ziggy Stardust persona, which isn't David Bowie, and that's why then they say at the doco because there's this famous concert where he says this is the end, like this is – I'm not – I'm not doing this again. So I'm not like Ziggy Stardust isn't doing any more concerts. And that was the end of that Bowie era. Um, and then after that, it was like that got him able to sort of be David Bowie. So, yeah, it was it was absolutely fantastic. Like I, a sort of transitional character that he's shed yeah, like a skin. Yeah. Um, I wonder if, yeah. I mean, it's obviously too late to ask David Bowie this, but I wonder if people like him and like Madonna and other artists who are – incredibly good at evolving and leaving former selves behind and like adopting new styles and then shedding them. I wonder if they look back at the earlier ones and feel embarrassed or, um, you know, like you in your Highland dancing outfit, just thinking, well, what makes you think I feel embarrassed? <laughs> it was nothing, part of the evolution of me saying that you would ever be embarrassed. <laughs> I couldn't be the person I am today if I hadn't <laughs> gone through my Highland dancing. That was your Ziggy face. It was my Ziggy face, <laughs> exactly. But I mean, I wonder if uh, they wonder if they change because they get bored or because they loathe what they've become. He, in this doco, it's clear that he just got bored. He had short attention span. And they've got some interview clips with Bowie in his voice sort of – you don't see him talking, you just hear his voice um, and he's talking about things. I mean, he, even as a young man, like a teenager, like his elegance just blows me away, yeah. like just amazing. And he's so smart and articulate and incredible. So, yeah, it was um, – it was just – I really, really um, thoroughly enjoyed it. And also just like watching those um, early clips of him physically, he's amazing. Oh he has this God. sort of calipigian grace that's just completely yeah, unmistakable. Completely, yeah. And it's just – I don't know. It just he, he really does look 
There's, towards the end, they're playing a couple of clips from a concert in 2000 when he looks more like, you know, our era, David Bowie, I guess. And um, he looks like – he just looks like a beautiful alien. Yeah. Like he looks like a god. Like yeah. it's just amazing. Like I, I just think he's absolutely sensational. Um, have you ever seen the <laughs> episode of Extras, the Ricky Gervais show, with the cameo by David Bowie? No. I've had, oh. I about – Four times a year I think I've got to go and check that out because, um, I mean, I love extras. I haven't seen all of them. Because um, Ricky Gervais, <laughs> he told, I, watching the doco sent me down a David Bowie rabbit hole. and there was, it um, Of course it did. <laughs> it's a rabbit hole you've, you've been down a I've few times I've been down a few times. Exactly. It's, it's like a familiar rabbit your hole. Your prints are all over that rabbit hole. <laughs> it's your house. <laughs> exactly. I can sniff myself when I go down that warren. Um, so... Ricky Gervais was on Graham Norton talking about how he met David Bowie and so he was a massive, massive fan of David Bowie and he's at some BBC function and the BBC Director General or Controller, whatever they're called, says – Hey Ricky, mate, come with me. Let's go out. Let's go out and talk to David Bowie. I'll introduce you to David Bowie. And Ricky's like, "Are you joking?" And he's like, "No, come with." So they start walking, in and he goes, and the BBC boss is like, "Selman, Selman Rushdie, <laughs> grab Selman Rushdie." So and then come to meet Bowie. And so <laughs> Ricky's like, he's walking down the hallway with Selman Rushdie on the way to meet Bowie. And so they sort of get um, chatting and stuff. And then he, and he's like, he just said, "This person was just like a god to me, my absolute hero." And then he said, the next night he was at the pub with his friend, and his friend goes, "Oh, so what did you get up to last night?" And Ricky's like, "Nothing." <laughs> but there, him Bowie then became Bowie hadn't watched The Office, and then Bowie watched The Office, and then sent him an email, and then they became friends. And then um, Ricky got him to do this cameo in Extras, where he plays the sort of, um, you know an extra, a film extra who's just a complete loser but has sort of gotten himself on this television show which is awful but has become really popular and then right. he's sort of trapped yeah. into it. One of those ones where I think it's called Where the Whistle Blows and then there's a catch line that everyone shouts oh, okay. at him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, anyway, he gets – he's at a party and David Bowie's there and he sort of says hi and then he starts sort of just boring David by talking about, you know, oh, I'm doing this show but I feel like I've sold out. And Bowie just goes, mm, that's interesting. <laughs> there's a piano there and he turns around and starts singing, funny little fat man. <laughs> and, then, and then he goes, and then he, the whole way he's going, no, no, that's not quite right. Hang on. Pathetic little fat man sells his soul. Anyway, he does this very Bowie-esque sort of – and it just gets progressively more insulting to, to David – I was going to say David Brent, to Ricky Gervais. It ends with Bowie getting everyone in the bar to sing, see his pug nose face. <laughs> it's bedwettingly funny. Bowie is so, so hilarious. Well, we're all in agreement. We Good. love him. Bowie's a legend. We can all agree. And, and that is just, I mean, you, the grouping of the space uh, mission to space oddity. Is, oh, I, mean, I didn't even think like, of that. I know, but I noticed it. That's so weird. Yeah, I know. You're an wow. artiste. It's such a space theme going on. It's like you've been planning segues in your real life <laughs> on a television show for your whole life. Did you watch that TV show, Flight of the Concords? Yeah. Oh, How yeah. Funny was that? Do you remember yeah. the Bowie parody they did? Uh, isn't it all a Bowie power? And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, they do a particular one with Bowie and Bowie's in space. Oh yeah. Well, um, one of them does that song in Moana, which is oh. the singing crab. Oh yeah, yeah. Jermaine. Which is just yeah. a complete. I mean, y- y- I mean, if it were if it weren't a giant bejeweled cartoon <laughs> crab singing, you'd think it was Bowie. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. The only the only line that sticks in my head from it for some reason, and in fact, any time. Like I ever see someone that's cold, I always, if I don't say it aloud, I always think it, which is, is it cold out there in space, Boe? Would you like to borrow my jumper, Boe? 
Anyway, hey, there's a new revisionist history. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> Just got to haul our way out of this quicksand of Bowie. I hope it's um, a space episode or it's not going to fit with the theme. No, it's not a space episode. Um, so uh, it's a really good series. So this is God, is this season four now of revisionist history? I don't know. I, um, Jeremy listened to heaps of it and uh, then said it's really good. So uh, that's when I started because I'm suggestible. Um, but the the first two episodes are about, you know, he, he's got this sort of ongoing obsession with the education system and how you'd restructure education mm-hmm. to make it less graphically unfair in the United States. Um, and that's what these two first episodes are. Uh, the, the, the following episodes are about um, unpicking the Boston Tea Party, which is really interesting, um, and exposing it for as if uh, actually just a protest by a bunch of smugglers rather than a right. like orchestrated attempt to secure freedom from a controlling mother state. Um, but that's another story. Uh, anyway, he um, sits the LSAT test, which is oh, yeah. um, the test that you sit in America if you want to become a lawyer and uh, if you want to go to law school, basically. So it's a test that um, has five sections and you have 30 minutes to complete each of the five sections. And if you finish one section early, you can't go to the next section. So he does this whole sort of deep dive into, well, doesn't that advantage people who just think really quickly because the the test is uncomfortably short, mm-hmm. you know, time. So oh, you, you really right. – and people take – like do coaching to um, get assistance with this test because mm-hmm. it basically – this test establishes which law school you're going to be able to go to. Right. Um, so if you want to go to Harvard, you've got to be in the top, you know, 0.5% or whatever. Like it's really, really, really – hugely influential in what happens to you in your life and mm-hmm. um, if you want to be a lawyer. And Gladwell then points out that once you're at Harvard Law School, then that makes a whole bunch of options available right. to you. And, in fact, um, he replaced some bits from a speech from Justice Scalia, uh, Antonin Scalia, um, where he's at some, like, um, regional university dinner or something and he's made this speech. He's the, you know, he's on the Supreme Court. And he uh, is asked by this sort of, you know, Tallahassee University law school um, student, you know, what are your tips for you? How do I get to be your associate? How do I um, get to be extraordinarily successful in the law? And he basically says to this girl, oh, well, you know what? I can't really mess around uh, when it comes to appointing associates. I just – my um, capacity to absorb a, a misjudgment is just absolutely zero. So I only take associates that went to, you know, Harvard essentially because <coughs> I will only take associates that have gone to the law school that's the hardest to get into because, mm. you know, even if they're crap at teaching, at least I know that they're smart when they went in. And it's quite a fascinating – I mean, Gladwell's – principal mission is mm. to look at, well, does a brain that is good for doing highly stressed, um, quick comprehension and turnaround um, skills, is, is that also the skill that makes you a really great lawyer or a really great judge? Um, what happens to the people who are better at being organised and considered, mm. take a bit longer mm. but end up, um, you know, with a, a, a more profound result, what happens to them? And it's a really good question, I think. Mm. And um, he then goes on to look at, you know, some lawyers who um, don't have the, 
the mind that works really super fast like that and um, and how they might perform better. But yeah, it, it's a it, on the way. It's just also this really upsetting glimpse at how this part of American society is organized, you know, and how um, privilege just repeats itself. I was listening to a history podcast which was completely awesome called Slow Burn. It's by Slate. There's two yeah. series of it. One is about Watergate and the second one is about the Clinton impeachment. Oh. I met Monica Lewinsky. Okay. Now, I have deliberately <laughs> contained myself to texting you about this and I haven't heard you <laughs> mention – one, One word, word about it because I've been waiting for this moment so that I can soak it in. Right. Well, we're at, what happened? We're at 30 minutes, 32. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> You're the greatest class. No, shouldn't, I go, shouldn't we go to be continued? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like an episode, like a two-parter of the Brady Bunch. Should we, should we do it as a 2 What are we at? 32 minutes. <gasps> should we, do, do we dare leave people dangling like that? Oh, I got so much rage. Yeah, let's try it. Because I don't want you to now wrap this Monica thing up in like two minutes, which is I know what you'll do. So, oh, God. Okay, all right. We'll, we'll chat to like, three survive this calumny that we're about to visit. It's upon. like when the Brady Bunch went to Hawaii and Greg had the tiki idol and everyone was – things were going badly wrong and then it's like to be continued. <laughs> you idiot. All right. <laughs> 